continue our series on uh, pursuing Jesus from Luke 5. So if you've got your Bibles or your devices, then uh, look up Luke 5. But before uh, I read from Luke 5, I've got a little challenge for you. Okay, so I'm going to uh, look up a verse here in 1 Peter. And uh, you probably know that uh, over the last few weeks, we've given people the opportunity to share their testimony, uh, uh, you know, how they became a Christian. And in 1 Peter, it says, always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. So in a moment, uh, one of you is going to give your testimony. Uh, I'm not going to jump on you and say it's you, but as I read Luke 5, uh, I want you to consider uh, being able to give your testimony. And this is the situation I want you to imagine. You're in a coffee shop with a friend, and you're chatting away, and you, you say, oh, I, I became a Christian in... And they say to you, oh, how did you become a Christian? And you have to answer them. And you've got three minutes, because their attention span is not very long. And they say, I'm just going to go to the loo. Tell me how you became a Christian when I come back. So that's how long you've got, and that's about how long it takes to read Luke 5, 1 to 11. So I'm going to give you a few moments as I look up Luke 5, uh, and then one of you. So you may have to hurry when I finish this, because only one of you can do it. Uh, so there may be a bit of a race. Okay, here we go, Luke 5. Verse 1, now it came about that while the multitude were pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Well, that's the, the lake of Galilee, the, not Galilee, Galilee, the Sea of Galilee. It's the same place, it's just a different name. And he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had got out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the multitudes from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. But... At your bidding, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. Well, when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the, the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also James and John, sons of Deb Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear, from now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Okay, now's your moment. Let's get the mic. 
who's going to come and share their testimony? Who's got the courage to come and share their testimony? Three minutes. Great. Thanks, Paul. <laughs> Sorry about this. Uh, um, right, so uh, how did it start? Well, it was on my... Uh, wedding day uh which was actually 44 years ago we worked out talking to liz and uh, i had the only occasion in my life when i had what i call a bright lights experience uh which was where i felt the presence of the lord all around me didn't really know what it was i came from a from a family that didn't believe in christ and in fact were actually aggressively anti-christian my father was aggressively anti-christian so i didn't actually accept christ at that point but I had enormous amount of energy and looking back I think I was blessed with the Holy Spirit because I had enormous energy. Uh, I was only 22 at the time and I seemed to be able to do loads of things. Uh, I was driving buses, driving old people around in buses and I can't remember all the things I was doing. I was working in a charity shop. I was just doing loads of things. I couldn't, couldn't tell you half the things I was doing. I just had tons of energy. Anyway, um, it sort of wore off over a period of couple of years, and uh, and then I s and then, but I had this burning desire to find God, but I didn't know where He was. So I managed to persuade my wife to put a backpack on, and off we went travelling around the world, <laughs> looking for God. And I'd heard the Beatles had said He was somewhere in India, so I was <laughs> looking in India actually, uh, but couldn't find Him there. And ended up in Australia, and um, basically in Australia, I'd forgotten all about looking for God, and got myself a job with, I guess you could say, the devil. Rupert Murdoch, mm -hmm. what do you reckon? And, uh, and for quite a long time, I was working there, uh, made money, came back, uh, became a qualified accountant, forgot all about actually the reason why I'd gone, got into, uh, what do they call it, Mammon, is it? Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, came back, forgot all about uh, God's search. And the funny thing was, I was in living in Edenbridge, and when I was 32, there was a family exactly the same as us, uh, same age, um, husband wife two children same age as ours one difference he was dying from leukemia and he, because of his because of his problem he'd got he'd, he'd been drawn into the baptist church and uh and and uh and so i watched him i i, I, drew, I took my children to uh, to the nursery to the uh sunday school dropped him off dropped them off went to the started going to church myself and, uh, and the long and short of it was, I was so impressed with the chap who actually unfortunately did die at 33, uh, that I, I became baptised and I was, had a full immersion wow. baptism. So, Brilliant. So God hadn't forgotten me. Mm. <laughs> I'd forgotten him. Very good, very <laughs> good. Excellent, thanks Paul, well done. Thank you, and less than three minutes, well done. Very impressive. I do pray, Paul, that you'll have an opportunity to share your testimony sometime like that in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, very good. Excellent. Okay, back to Luke 5. <laughs> back to Luke 5. Now, actually, I'm going to mention a couple of other passages that you don't need to look up. One's in Mark and one's in Matthew, and they're what called, uh, what's called parallel passages, so similar accounts of what happens and where Jesus goes to the disciples to... Uh, Peter and to Andrew and James and John and says, follow me. But they're slightly different. They don't include the bit about the fish. They don't include Jesus' teaching on the shore. And some commentators say, well, that's just because they're different writers and different perspective. 
Other, other writers would say, other commentators would say, actually, it, it's Jesus approached the disciples more than once to say, follow me. And I think it actually gives a bit of clarity to this passage in Luke, if you consider that. Uh, the order is slightly different. He was down on the beach, he said, follow me. And then it says they went to the synagogue and then they went to Simon's house that we heard about last week when Jesus healed Simon's mother-in-law. And so when we come to look at this, uh, I think it's, it's got uh, a different perspective to it when you consider that and look at Luke 5. And let me explain to you uh, the background to those words, follow me which I know weren't in the Luke passage, but they're in the other two, and it's sort of implied in there, follow me, and that's actually what they did at the end. The process of follow me would start at a very early age for a Jewish boy. They would go to synagogue school about when the age of five, and they would be taught Hebrew, and they would be expected to start learning the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And by the time they got to their bar mitzvah, about 12 or 13, they, would be able, they would, had memorized the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, all the prophets, and several writings. And so by the time they got to that age, they then had a choice to make. Were they going to go on to further study? And they would study for two to three years the uh, what were called the sages, those who had written before and interpreted the Word of God in different ways, and they'd learn the art of interpretation. And if they were then able, they would go on further and they would start to approach a rabbi. And the rabbis had different ways of interpreting the Word of God. Some were very literal, some were very liberal, some were very legalistic. And so those, dis those potential disciples would look at those rabbis and they'd see if they could identify with them in the way that they interpreted the Word of God into their daily lives. And so what would then happen is a, a disciple would see a rabbi and think, no, I can identify with what they're saying. And they would go to the rabbi and say, may I be your disciple? And the, the roles would then be reversed the rabbi would start to investigate the individual and examine him and see how he thought and what his considerations were and how he interpreted the word of God. Because the moment that that rabbi said, follow me, that disciple had to give up all his own thoughts. He only ever took on the thinking and the interpretation of the rabbi. Let me give you an example. I read an article uh, and it sums it up rather well. The issue to an observant Jew in the first century was never what God's word says. They all knew what it said. They had memorized it. Rather, the issue was, what does it mean? An interpretation question. Thus, the rabbi was most interested in choosing disciples who exhibited the metal, intelligence, commitment, and persistence to become an interpreter of God's word just like him. If a rabbi judged a potential disciple to have the capability to become just like him, i.e. to emulate him, then the rabbi 
would utter those cherished words of acceptance every potential disciple longed to hear. Follow me. And follow me had two distinct meanings. One was, come and be with me. Come spend time with me. Walk with me. Talk with me. Allow yourself to be completely enclosed in my world. And the other was to submit to my authority. And the illustration that was given was, it's like a computer hard drive representing the mind of that disciple. And it was completely wiped. And then he had to download from the rabbi his teaching, his interpretation of God's word. So for Jesus to go to Peter and say, follow me, was, according to the culture, completely outrageous. It was shocking. Peter would have been utterly confused. What do you mean? I don't understand. I gave up the thought of being a disciple several years ago. You know, maybe he didn't make the grade. Maybe he, hadn't, he wasn't clever enough to take it on and learn about it. Maybe he was just a bit too impetuous. Maybe he thought, I'm never going to submit to somebody else's authority. We know enough about Peter to think that was possibly true. And he would have questions of Jesus. How can you do this? How can you reverse the role? I've not approached you and asked to be a disciple of yours. And so when we see that order that he then maybe went to the synagogue, I mean, I'll I'll listen to some of Jesus' teaching. And then he says to Jesus, would you come back to my house? I've got some questions for you. And that's when he healed Peter's mother-in-law. Maybe in doing so, he was answering one of Peter's questions. How am I going to look after my family if I'm following Jesus? And Jesus was probably able to answer those questions. And he only appealed Peter's mother-in-law, but all the other people who came, as we heard last week from Tim. And so that, it's with that background that we arrive at Luke 5. And we look at verses 1 to 3, where we find Peter with his boat and washing the nets. He's, he's been out fishing all night and caught nothing. And he's having to wash his nets. The chores after failure are so much harder than the chores after success. And he's a fisherman. It's, he's making his living from this. And he's caught nothing. So he's probably not very happy. And lo and behold, it's the same shore that Jesus arrives at and decides to do some teaching. And as he does so, so people gather, and then more and more people gather, and then more and more, until that whole shoreline is full, and Jesus is stepping back and stepping back until he finds his feet in the shallows, and he has a choice to make. He could send the people home. He send them away. He did that at other times. He could have walked on the water and talked from there. That was equally possible. But he chose to go to Simon and say, could I use your boat? Could you push me out onto the sea a little way so that I can speak? You see, it has been tested and seen that uh, there are certain areas, not all of them, but certain areas along uh, the Galilee coastline that 
it, they were like natural amphitheatres. And it's, they have put out a boat a short way and spoken, and everyone on the shore can hear. You don't need a loudspeaker. You don't need a megaphone. You don't need to shout. It's a natural amphitheatre. And so Jesus chose that moment to ask Peter, could you push out from the, a little way? Now, I don't know what you've got in your mind. What's the picture in your mind? Uh, you ha- I, I sort of had a, a bit of a large rowing boat that Jesus sat in and Peter rowed him out a little way. Well, it wasn't like that at all. In 1986, two brothers who were amateur archaeologists were very excited because there was a severe drought in the area of Galilee. And for many years, they had hoped to find uh, a boat that had sunk and they were able to discover it. And they looked and they'd not found anything. And as the, the water receded further and further away, they thought, oh, let's go and have a look. So they walked down to the shore and they literally fell over a boat. Well, not a whole boat, you know, a bit of a boat. And it was excavated professionally, uh, and it was um, preserved over a period of 12 years, and it's affectionately known as the Jesus boat. Uh, There's a picture of it, and I don't know, you can't really see very well, but up here, it looks like there's a sort of overhead projector uh, image of what the boat would have looked like. Uh, The next slide will show you. uh, Now, it wouldn't have had all this, uh, this is a more modern version, wouldn't have had all this on top, but it would have had a sail and it would have had the opportunity for oars that people could row. Now, you can't really tell from that, but that boat was eight metres long and about two and a half, three metres wide. So if I stand about here and make a rectangle, it would have filled this whole space. There's no way, thank you, you can have the lights back on. There was no way that Peter could have got into that boat and managed it on his own with just Jesus in it. He would have had to have asked Andrew. And his, the companions were probably hired men who worked with uh, Peter and Andrew in their fishing business. And we know from the story that the companions were in the boat when they caught the fish. So he would have, it wasn't just a, a, a favor. Peter, could you, could you help me? I've got a bit of a problem. Could I go in your boat? No. This is a significant favor. This is a a moment when he's saying to Peter, would you serve me? And it's it's like a step towards discipleship. Would you get involved in my world? And so Peter says, yeah, and they all get in the boat and they push out and Jesus is able to teach the crowd. And then Jesus finishes and uh, he, in verses 4 and 5, he says to Peter, put your boat out into the deep for a catch, let your net down for a catch. And in that moment, it moved from, could you do me a favor, to, will you allow me to step into your world? Will you allow me to speak into your world? Because you're the expert, you're the fisherman, and I'm telling you to cast your nets again. Again, in one of the uh, commentaries I read, there was uh, a really, uh, he put it really well, how Peter would have reacted. Let me read it to you. Jesus begins Peter's journey of discipleship, not by calling him away 
from his profession, but by challenging him to bolder practice of it. Jesus does not assert his lordship at Peter's weakest point, but at his strongest, his professional expertise as a fisherman. Nor does Jesus wait for the appropriate mood. (laughs) Few fishermen endure failure in the art admirably. And people who fish for a living rather than for sport may endure it even less admirably. We need not ask what goes through the mind of a professional fisherman in a foul mood when a non-fisherman orders him to do again in bad conditions what he has already tried and failed to do in good conditions. Basically what he's saying is Luke probably didn't record exactly what Peter said. Or maybe Peter didn't say exactly what was in his mind. He managed to control it and say, look, we've tried this and failed. It's no good doing it during the day. You do it at night and it didn't work. But if you say so, I will do it. And the commentator goes on, two voices are audible in Peter's reply. The professional fisherman and the fledgling disciple. The man of this world and the man of faith. Peter knows from experience the futility of fishing after sunup, when the fish can see the nets. And he reminds Jesus, who is considerably less experienced in such matters of this fact. His final word, however, is not based on his experience, reasonable as it may be, but on the authority of Jesus. And so Peter takes a step further into discipleship and accepts that Jesus can speak into his world. And so then we move on into verse 6 and 7 and the great catch of fish. And they, you know, they let down the nets, they start to pull the nets in, they're breaking, they call across to James and John and their hired men, come on, help us. And the two boats get there and the boats are both completely full. Imagine, you know, where I was standing, this whole area. That is a pretty big catch of fish, and there's two boats. It's enormous. And in that moment, Jesus answers one of Peter's other questions. How am I going to provide for my family if I go off and follow you? Because that catch of fish, just the sale of that would probably have kept his family for some considerable time. But even if they didn't sell it all, they probably smoked some and dried some and gave them income for the future and gave them food to eat as a family. Jesus provided in that moment and answered uh, one of Peter's other questions. And then, eight and nine, Peter responds. He says, go away. Depart from me. I'm a sinner. I can't cope with this. Now, you see, I don't think that was a rejection of Jesus saying, follow me. I think that was Peter acknowledging that he was completely unworthy. Well, why should you do this for me? I don't deserve it. We heard that earlier, didn't we? None of us deserve it. 
what God has done for us. And it's like, I don't understand how this can be. All my life, I've listened to teaching from rabbis who have interpreted God's word in a particular way. And they've bound us up in laws and things that we have to do. And you have to follow this and don't do that. And don't do it on a Sunday. All of those things. And you come along and you scrap all of that and do it completely differently. Your teaching is totally different. You interpret God's word into my daily life and you give me a huge catch of fish. That has never happened before. And Peter acknowledges the huge gulf between Jesus and him. And then Jesus says to him, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. That's a funny phrase, isn't it, really? It sort of works in English as a play on words. You know, he was a fisherman, and now he's going to be fishing for men. It quite, it's quite nice, but it's a bit of a funny phrase. And it actually doesn't mean that. What it means is, literally, you will now be catching alive and implies for life. You see, what Peter had been doing was catching live fish and killing them. They would be dead. They would be eaten. What he's now saying is, you're going to be catching men who are dead. They're dead in their transgressions and sins. And you're going to be bringing to the point where you're introducing them to me. And I'm going to make them alive. Not just for the day or for the rest of their life, but forever. And it's a complete transformation of what Peter was doing. And so when he says, don't be afraid, it's going to be completely different. It'll be the total reverse of what you've experienced up to now. And as a result, what do they do? They say, we're going to put the boats in. We're going to leave everything. And we're going to follow you. Now I've got six things that I think I want to pull out from those verses. Six phrases that I think might relate to different people in different circumstances. The first is, follow me. Now, it may be that Jesus hasn't said those exact words to you, but maybe you're, you've heard uh, those words or somebody has said something like it introduced you to Jesus and you want to find out more. And like Peter said to Jesus, come to my house and let me ask some questions. He ran the first Alpha course and there is the opportunity that you can find out more. Go to an Alpha course, go to a Just Looking but then they serve me, just as Jesus said to Peter, look, would you help me? So as we get more and more involved, there's the opportunity to serve, to be involved in the life of the church uh, and to help one another, to give contribution. Then there's trust me. Are you prepared to trust me and know that I will provide for you? Will you take that step of allowing me to speak into your life? You know, maybe you've felt that uh, your Christian life is Sunday and midweek. And Jesus says, I want to speak into your work. I want to speak into your school, your college, your family, your friendships. I want to speak into all these things. Are we prepared to open ourselves in that way? Then he says, believe me, Are you, do you believe that I can provide for you in this way? 
I can provide for all your needs if you allow me to step into your world. Then there's come and be with me. Come and spend time with me. Hang out with me. Learn from me. Listen to my voice. And then there's submit to me. Ultimately saying, I give everything for you. But you see, that came at the end of our story. But it's actually just the beginning. Because when you give everything, it's almost like that's when things begin. And that's the opportunity, again, that you have. Now, you may say, yeah, I've, I've given my life to Jesus. I've given him everything. Have you? <laughs> I could say that. And then I think, have I really? Have I really given Jesus?